You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I want to talk about imagination, and one thing I've learned from raising two daughters, I have two daughters, one of whom will be four at the end of the month and another of whom will be seven um, at the beginning of March. They're like five days apart is how ima- imagination is so important to how they play and how they work. My kids have a, a sort of a endless imagination, and it's really the heart of their fun and their play. Like today, for example, Agatha decided she wanted to go camping. She doesn't know I hate camping, but she, she wants to do it. And she wants to go hunting while camping. She doesn't know what hunting is, so we tell her, here's what hunting is. You, Because we're not hunters, so this is how I describe hunting. No offense if you are one. You, you track down an animal, and then you kill them, and then eat them. And then she goes, we don't eat animals. <laughs> she doesn't know. And I said, well, she goes, and to demonstrate the absurdity of, of this proposition, she said, no, we eat people. That's, she, that's, that's how she, ex- she extended her imagination. And I said, well, if we eat people, maybe I'll eat you. She goes, oh, no, you can't. I'm a monster. And monsters eat people. You're a person. So she, she really thought the absurdity of eating an animal was equivalent to eating people. And all the vegetarians said amen, right? That's, that's, that, was the, that was the spirit of her imagination. And I appreciated that because she was actually ignorant about something, what hunting was, and that we eat animals. And it, it inspired her imagination. Her seed of her doubt about the world in general generated imagination. And it's inspiring that they can believe and long for much more than they can readily see. And as they experience and learn new things about the world, unknown potential is realized in front of them. And so life is miraculous because they're so ignorant. That's actually a good place to be for faith to grow. It's a, it's a good fertile ground for faith to, uh, to uh, flourish in. Somewhere along the line of my own maturation and development, I got the message to stop imagining and start being realistic. Maybe you've heard this too. But what's worse is that unlike children who are well aware, I think, of their limited understanding of the world, which is why they ask so many questions, a lot of adults seem to think they know everything already. They're uh, ignorant of their ignorance. And thinking you know everything is a killer of faith. But we're surrounded these days by people who think they know everything and demonstrably don't. Like the Congress is full of these people. Our leaders tell us this all the time. And that sort of environment limits our imagination. And I'm, I'm guilty of this, of a limited imagination. Don't get me wrong. Just last week, Like I just mentioned, I was putting my hope in a legislative body to deliver me from evil. And I I actually thought this would happen. That's how ludicrous I was in the moment. And if we're not careful, our political leaders and our processes might even replace Jesus. Circle of Hope is um, positioning itself to counter that idea. That's, That's what we're about as a community, fighting the idea that we have another savior. So I want to keep learning from kids and keep imagining. And I think that imagination, like I said, tills the soil of faith. And 
in the possibilities before us. We can dream of seemingly impossible things if we don't allow the powers that be to harden our hearts and freeze our imaginations. And I think imagining another world is possible is elemental to the gospel. It's at the heart of the gospel. Did you know that sometimes our faith is derided as a coping mechanism for our society? Have you heard this before? Some postmodernists have called it a religion for weak people who can't bear the adversities of life. Pretty negative. I think Christianity is a welcoming place for the weak um, and offering them comfort, but I don't think it just stops at, at making them feel okay. Someone called it an opiate, a sedative for the people. But I think our faith is so much more than that, so much more than a coping mechanism. And if I can use this rather on-the-nose analogy, and no, your pastor is not telling you to use drugs, our faith isn't an opiate that sedates us as we endure the trouble around us. It's an amphetamine that stimulates us for changing the world. That's what it does. It excites us and it energizes us for the possibility of change. Our faith disrupts us in our rigid way of thinking and allows us to imagine a new world, a new creation, a new humanity. It allows us to imagine new possibilities, just like the Apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. Someone out loud read these three verses that we've been reading together this season. Yes, you've been doing this? Let's read it one more time. Someone out loud. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Thanks. We're actively imagining and thinking in the new creation. We're leaving behind the old one. We consider each other from a new perspective, a new creation perspective too, and we think of the world in the same way. And so we've been working on coming up with ways to imagine um, old frameworks in new ways, right? We're moving from the old to the new, coming up with new and full ways to think about the world. And tonight, we're moving from excess to abundance. Not exactly contradictory, but different in very important ways. Let, let, let's work this out together. My economics teacher, Mr. Rohrbach, this is in high school, taught us that scarcity plus demand was the key to value in the economy. That is to say, the rarer something is and the more desirable it is, that's how we determine value. That's how we determine price. The more common something is, coupled with its lack of desirability, the less valuable it is. That's why you can't sell sand in the Sahara Desert because there's so much of it, it's not worth anything, right? You can't sell cups of salt water in the middle of the Pacific, right? High, de high supply, low demand. That's how this works. And so what drives our economy is scarcity of necessities. Scarcity drives our economy and we compete in order to survive. We're secure when we have enough. And that sort of mentality leads to sinful amounts of excess, if you ask me, and, and much more trouble, too. Let me give you a, an example that's so hyperbolic you'll have to agree. Jeff Bezos, the king of Amazon. I think that's the, his official title, actually. 
He's worth $125 billion. That's a big number. In fact, it's so big, if Jeff tried to count all of his money and it took him a cent a dollar, it would take him 4,000 years to count all of his money. That, that's like Jesus and then double Jesus. That's how far back it is, right? Like, like in a 2000 BCE, we're not even, we're, we're, we're in the United Monarchy as far as Israel is concerned. I don't care. I don't care about Old Testament history, but it, we're way far back. It's a long time ago. And that, that, the fear of not having enough leads to that kind of excess, leads to that much consumption, that much collection. And, 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 and it isn't just billionaires that are guilty of this. We probably all collect excess as a way of alleviating our fear and worry. And really, that's how the whole society is structured. So, despite stagnant wages, many Americans are satisfied with the economy. 63% of them right now. And the consumer confidence index is high too. People feel good when they think the economy is going well, even when their lives aren't. Now, what does that mean? It means that something abstract called the economy, when it's doing well, affects me in a positive way. Do you see the sort of metaphysical divine uh, presence that something like the economy can have on my individual life? There's something spiritual about that, right? And it actually is competing with the comfort that Jesus provides me because I feel better about myself when the abstract economy is doing well. Abstract because it hasn't really impacted me in any meaningful materialist way. Does that make sense? We're being told all the time, on top of that, that what leads to common good for all of us is liberty, is freedom. That is to say, the more in control of your money you are, the better it is for everyone. That's the, that's, that's the teaching. So the economy teaches us, there's philosophy here that we absorb, that scarcity brings value and selfishness is the key to the common good. And it's an amazing philosophy and it's, it kind of get, got, got us into the mess that we're in. But it's a philosophy that nevertheless limits our imagination. Jesus has another way of doing things. There's a reason in his main teaching in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, he pairs, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, 4 through 7, he pairs serving money and worry. These are connected. Serving money as God results in worry. They're tied together. We serve money, we serve excess because we are worried. He is creating that sort of causal relationship. Let's go to the text here. This is just 11 verses of the Bible, so bear with me as we read it together. Maybe it's the most Bible you'll read this week, so, 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 so receive it now. Someone out loud, read from Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, and neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Thanks, Allie. Jesus is saying that the antidote to fear that leads to excess is faith, is trust in the provision of God that God will provide. You can only serve one master. God is calling you. God is calling me. Don't worry about food or drink or clothing. Jesus moves us to realizing that our lives are not reducible to the material. It's a beautiful image. And it extends our imagination beyond the material world and, the, and, and what we observe as material possibilities. It moves us into something more. Jesus moves us into, uh, moves into organic images to describe this. The birds of the air are provided for without um, hoarding or storing anything up. Worry doesn't even add to your life. In fact, if you want eternal life, if you want addition to your life, follow Jesus. That's what Jesus promises us. So collecting more stuff isn't enough. You don't need 4,000 years worth of money. You can't even extend your life. What are we talking about, right? It's not making your life longer. We have a limited amount of time, and worrying and collecting resources doesn't extend our life. Back then, they were talking about um, storing things in barn, in barns so that they would last for a long time, but even then, you had a... Uh, possibility of spoilage and so the inequality was at least measured in that way now if you liquidate your assets no spoilage theoretically right that's that's the idea so you can collect more and more and more without a fear of ruin essentially the lilies are clothed better than solomon matthew's writing to jewish people who know that solomon is the uh, wisest king of israel the lilies are clothed better than even solomon God provides abundance for us in creation around us. There is enough to go around. There's enough stuff to go around. We don't need to strive for more because God has provided. And that just goes for, that doesn't just go for material things. It goes for all things. In this room, there's enough love to go around. You don't need to hold on to your resource of love and not share it because it will be depleted. Circle of Hope is premised upon the idea that there is enough love to go around and that we can keep reaching and extending it. And God's kingdom is abundant because in God's economy, abundance is what assigns value, not scarcity. That's the difference between excess and abundance. Excess is the result of our, our fear, right? Seeking excess is the result of our fear. Enjoying abundance is the result of faith. Keep in mind that you might not think that you have an excess problem because you're not rich and you don't hoard resources. And some of you wish you had resources to hoard at all. And there are a lot of people that are on the other end of, of the economy. And let's just hold them in our hands for a second, knowing there are a lot, and, and, and they might be among us now, who are longing for more, who don't have enough. And there are those who have... Um, been sold this lie of excess to the point of crippling consumer debt, and, and, and they think the student debt that they accrue is totally normal, right? That's, that's, that's the economy of excess and what it's teaching us. 
I think that's noteworthy. It is true that those of us with a material uh, advantage have an increased propensity to be foiled by the folly of excess. Right? Those of means, so to speak. That's the politically way correct of saying rich people, since rich, rich is an identity now. Those of means have a more likely propensity to fall into this. And Jesus warns about that, too, all over the gospel. But another issue comes from this mentality that plagues all of us. We're taught that our individual actions will save us. This applies to whether you're hoarding resources now as you survive or whether you're hoarding activism, thinking that's how you'll survive. Have you heard the term ethical consumerism? It centers the individual's experience as the main agent of change, and it divorces you from your environment. It divorces one from her environment, thereby making you primarily responsible for the problems of the world. Do you ever feel like you are? You're primarily responsible for all the trouble in the world? Censuring the individual and assuming that the agent of change is consumption is one way that we get a perverse philosophy wormed into our brain. We think this is how it works. It centers the individual and the market as how we change the world. And it leaves those those, uh, assumptions intact. It doesn't threaten those assumptions. Freedom and consumption is how you change the world. It's another way that we have a, a mentality of excess. In contrast, our Heavenly Father knows that we're all, that, 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 knows all that we need. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? And all that God will provide for us. You can see God's provision in the very image, images that Jesus uses here. That the creation itself is evidence of God's abundance for us. But it's really hard to have faith that we'll have enough to go around, that God will provide for us, isn't it? And one of the saddest examples, it's so hard for humankind to believe this, right? That instead of uh, enjoying God's abundance, we sought to capitalize on it and tried to make more. You know, it's a sad irony of our time that we took God's abundance and our pursuit of excess actually ended up destroying the earth. Right, You wanted more, and then you ruined the abundant creation around you. And on top of that, we think the solution to the climate catastrophe isn't global or communal or involving all of us. We think it just centers on our own consumer choices. That's why you're using those terrible plastic straws to drink from. Ever use one of those straws? Paper straws, that's it. Yeah, they fall apart. You become the drink. Like eight ounces into your 16-ounce beverage, the straw falls apart, and it sucks. You know this, right? There's no, there's, no, there's no actual paper straw advocate because it's a terrible product. But the reason, the reason that you're okay using the world's worst straw is because you think you need to do this to save the environment. It centers you in your individual choices and doesn't make it a cum, uh, communal, global problem, which it obviously is. The cost of excess isn't just environmental destruction. There's much more to it than that. It means that we never lack. We never have that feeling of lacking. Excess stunts our desire. It fills us up without satisfying us. 
you know, if we're always worried about food or drink, that we, that we get it every time we have an inkling, then we never hunger or thirst. And really, we don't, we, we really need to hone our desire. Why? So that we seek God's kingdom first. If we spoil our appetites, we limit the possibilities of desire. And it's not really because we're satisfied with the status quo. It's not really because the world we're living in is satisfactory. But we just take the edge off. We just took the edge off. We're trying not to feel hungry or thirsty or long. But I actually want to develop that desire so that I can learn to seek Jesus first. Right? I'm developing a longing and a desire by not fulfilling my consumer wants. Lent is right around the corner, and it's a great time to practice longing, to practice desiring. That's why Jesus asks us, no, don't seek excess first, but seek God's God first, God's kingdom first, God's righteousness first, and then all these things will be given to you as well. When I say God's righteousness, I mean God is making everything right. Rectification, justification, this happens. Like Paul's saying, as a ministry of reconciliation, God has made everything right, and God is making everything right. The old is gone, the new is here. We're living in that reality right now. And we can imagine a new world because God is providing it and has provided it. Seeking God first looks exactly like what we're doing as a community. We're imagining a different world now. You are creating that alternative. You are creating a new economy. Right here in Circle of Hope, in this room, the people gathered are actually fulfilling this. You're actually seeking God's kingdom first. And I I experience this all the time with you, so I want you to be encouraged by that fact. But but, but can can, can we sit with that desire for something new? Can we imagine then, can you receive that message and then imagine you yourself as someone new. Pray to let go of your fear and worry and rely on God's abundance. And I don't think this is an abstract abundance. I don't think this is a strictly meditative exercise. I don't think that enjoying God's abundance means transcending our feelings or desires. Actually, I want to feel. I want to desire. I want to find satisfaction. I don't just want to overcome my desire. And I think that's important to note because common spiritual wisdom is we have to overcome our feelings. But Christianity isn't about getting over it. We don't transform the world or ourselves by finding inner peace. A great way to continue to participate in the economy of excess is to no longer be bothered by it because you found a new product to comfort you, right? But I actually, I actually want to move beyond that. I, I actually think we can hold out our desire to be bothered by our lack of imagination and then find satisfaction in a new economy of desire with Jesus. I want to be agitated by how the world's working and find my peace in Jesus, not just through comfort, but through transformation. I don't want to just go to the yoga studio and then feel better about myself and let the world go to hell in a handbasket. That's not the real thing that I'm going for. Inner peace alone, transcending your feelings of discomfort alone, isn't at the heart of our faith. And and, And the reason is that satisfaction that we desire actually has a material consequence. And we express it as a church. We actually share our money in common and our resources in common. 
Rather than taking for our own benefit, we share for the benefit of the whole. And we do that so that we that receive all that we need. No, you don't need to take what's yours and hope the rest of the world works out okay. No, we share in common because we want to express what it looks like to seek God's kingdom first. And there is a material consequence, a material reality that results when we participate in Jesus' um, economy of abundance. Right? The valleys are filled, the mountains are lowered. A vision for another world is cast. Our church is actually revealing and extending that new creation to the whole world. And, we, and we're looking for thirsty and hungry people who are moved by the Spirit to do that and to be something different. And you are those people. You're doing it right now, and there's more of us out there. We keep looking for them. Those of us who have stuffed ourselves in the excess of the world and are unsatisfied but long to participate in a world where resources are shared and God's abundance is enjoyed, that's who we're looking for. That's who is uh, around us. And that's who you are too. We're gathering these people so that we can actually imagine a new world. So let's pray for that imagination and find comfort and even some security in knowing that we're already enacting what it looks like to seek God and God's kingdom and God's righteousness first. Let's pray and then we'll do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for uh, the abundance of your love, the abundance of your provision. Give us the faith to believe in it, to hold on to it, to know it has real consequence and to know that we're participating in it right now by being the church. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.